brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Friends with Fantasy Benefits pod quiz podcast. I am Chuck Anderson. I can be reached at Just Chucking It on Twitter, and I have Darius Austin with us from England. Darius, how are you today? I'm doing very well. I'm quite warm. Uh, it's, it's extremely warm here in the UK. We're not used to such things, so everybody's sweating out a bit. But uh, yeah, kind of cooling off a bit in the evening, which is nice. And uh, I, I don't usually ask you this, but do you think you're going to get the link between the players today? I do, yes. Actually, I'm, I'm very confident. This might be the most confident I've been. Oh wow! Well, here we go. Let's uh, let's start it off then. The first player that's on our list is the one and only Matt Duffy. In contrast to Danny Duffy, who is ripping through my Brewers at a meteoric pace right now, although so is. Uh, so is the Raptor himself, Brent Suter, so it's a 0-0 game. But Matt Duffy, meanwhile, used to play for the San Francisco Giants, got traded over to the Tampa Rays. And I'm going to sort of ask a rhetorical question about uh, each of these players uh, as I bring them up today. So do you think that Matt Duffy is anything more than uh, than empty batting average, Darius? <laughs> Not not a whole lot more, to be honest. Uh, there's, you know, a, a tiny bit of power, I guess, and uh, a bit of speed, although um, he's not kind of at the level he was. I think he went 12 for 12 when he was first up with the Giants, and he's not really been that great a base runner since, since he came back. And uh, he did have an Achilles injury, which obviously cost him all of last season. So I wouldn't be surprised if that had maybe sapped his speed a little bit as well. Um, I just think he's kind of a, a solid hitter. 
guy who hits to all fields. Um, so I, I don't anticipate him yanking a ton of home runs down the line. He isn't that kind of player. Um, the line drive rate is great. So I think the batting average, while it looks you know pretty high with the BABIP as well, I think that's you know partly fueled by a lot of line drives. So I don't think that's super unsustainable. But uh, I don't think empty batting average is too far off what he is, maybe eight to 10 homers and steals, um, but nothing too exciting. Yeah, Matt Duffy was uh, was a third baseman in uh, San Francisco, and third base was uh, having a pretty rough year uh, way back in 2015 when he came up with 12 home runs and 12 stolen bases. And uh, I remember, you know, he hit 295. He helped a lot of teams out that year. This year he's sort of been an adequate fill-in as well for uh, various uh, infield injuries. Uh, uh, by the way, I was surprised to see that Matt Duffy is only 27 years old. I don't know why I thought he was older than that, but it just seemed he just seemed like a guy who would have taken longer uh, to get to the bigs. Um, but since he's uh, been in the bigs, even though he's lost, he lost all of last year due to injury. Uh, he seems to have uh, a good bit of function right now in fantasy leagues where people are in need uh, on the infield. Now let's uh, talk- there are there are two Matt Duffies as well, right? Which makes things super confusing when you're looking them up. Oh, there is. I didn't even realize that. I must have just clicked on the right one automatically. <laughs> the other know- one is barely played, I think, in the majors, but I think he is older, so that might also be influencing you. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, how about John Hicks? John Hicks, who is the Miguel Cabrera fill-in. Uh, what do you think about John Hicks going forward? Do you think he's going to be a fantasy commodity? for the next couple of years? Well, it feels like we've been talking uh, pretty much every week about how terrible catches are whenever catches come up. Uh, I think I probably mentioned how terrible catches are. I'm sure everybody who's playing fantasy this year um, knows kind of what a, a dearth of quality there is at the position, especially now with Gary Sanchez first not really hitting like we expected and, and now going down with the injury. It's, it's pretty bad out there. Um, so from that perspective, I think Hicks is a guy with catcher eligibility who seems to have at least 18 to 20 homer kind of pop. Um, I think you could do a lot worse at catcher. Uh, and he seems to be playing close to every day uh, at first base for the Tigers now that uh, Mickey's out for the season. So all of that is good. Uh, you know, I think you're going to get a lot more uh, plate appearances, a lot more runs at RBI than you're going to get out of the vast majority of catchers out there. Um, but going forwards, uh, it, I don't think he's going to get to play enough behind the plate to, to carry that eligibility over. I think he's at 13 games right now, and, and he hasn't started um, behind the plate since uh, Cabrera got went down injured, which was over two weeks ago now. So hope, maybe he, he gets to another seven <laughs> games there the rest of the way, who knows. But the way they've been using him since Cabrera uh, went down, I, I think it seems like he, he's not going to carry that over, which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of uh, red flags uh, as far as being able to use him as uh, your, your regular first baseman. Uh, a 28.3% K percentage with under 6% walk percentage isn't phenomenal. A 375 BABIP with only a 283 batting average. And, uh, you know, just the low walk rate means just a 324 OBP. Uh, there's there's cause for concern. Um, you know, he has upped his pace from last year a bit. Last year he had six home runs in 60 games. This year he has six home runs in 53 games although he has uh, 15 more plate appearances this year than he had all of last year. Uh, so, I mean, there's sort of a, a lot of different variables uh, being floated around here. Uh, 
uh, of course, he is a major benefactor of uh, the fact that uh, it certainly appears that Detroit's going to do everything they can to rebuild, and they're playing a number of younger players. So I would think for the rest of the season, they're going to do everything they can to know exactly what they have in John Hicks before the season is over. I think that's a, that's a pretty safe assumption. Now, uh, we've talked about Matt Duffy and John Hicks. Now let's talk about a guy who's probably better than both of them put together uh, times, <laughs> times two. Let's talk about Manny Machado of the uh, Baltimore Orioles. I think maybe we can lose track of Machado pretty easily uh, just because uh, the Orioles are so dreadful right now. Uh, but he's obviously going to be in major spotlight from here to the trade deadline as we figure out exactly what's going to happen. The fantasy prospect entity that used to be known as Mini A-Rod is uh, already uh, a ripe 25 years old uh, as he's coming off, uh, you know, he's, he's in the middle of his, uh, basically his fourth uh, run at Major League Baseball. Uh, it is certainly of note that his uh, walk percentage has jumped significantly this year from 7.2% to 10.4%. So that's helping fuel a 371 on base percentage. Uh, you think uh, Miguel Cabrera, not Miguel Cabrera, do you think Manny Machado is uh, one of the best uh, best deals that there was to be had early in drafts going into the season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you kind of look at last year and he had that rough first half, of course, but uh, the BABIP was inexplicably way down. Uh, I expected that to come back up and, and the batting average to come with it, and that absolutely has. Uh, and I think you mentioned the walk rate. I think he's made improvements there, and he's actually putting more balls in the air as well now. So I don't think that this home run pace is, is on is, is fluky at all. I mean, he's a guy who hits the ball incredibly hard. Obviously extremely talented and still only 25, so uh, it's not unreasonable to expect growth out of him. Uh, so, yeah, just a phenomenal player on what is truly a dreadful, dreadful team. And it will be very interesting to see what the Orioles do with him and, and whether he ends up somewhere else uh, in a few weeks' time um, because, obviously, his value could go up even more if he's actually in a lineup that's going to get him any runs in RBI to go with it. Well, it's not very often that I can continue a conversation from Monday uh, from our Monday podcast into our you know, Wednesday podcast, I guess, may come out on Thursday. Uh, but the point being is that Justin and I had a conversation about Manny Machado and if uh, we believed he was planning on playing short or if he was planning on playing third going forward. And uh, I have a tendency to roll my eyes at such things as this, but uh, Justin sort of hinted that he believed that Manny Machado wanted to be a shortstop going forward. Yesterday during a broadcast, uh, the broadcast that was broadcast, uh, I believe it was on nationally yesterday, the announcer stated that Manny Machado absolutely wanted to be a shortstop moving forward, and he would be stunned if he went somewhere to play third base. This gets a ginormous eye roll from me, because if I'm supposed to be sitting here thinking that Manny Machado is going to turn down an extra 35 or 40 million dollars so he can play shortstop instead of playing third base. I'm not one who's prone to believe such complete and utter asinine nonsense. Uh, 
but I have been known to be a bit cynical. So why don't you try to, <laughs> why don't you try to set me uh, set me straight here? Do you think that Manny Machado would turn down? How much money do you think Manny Machado would turn down so he could stay a shortstop instead of moving to third base? Wow, there's a question. Yeah, it's difficult to know because it it doesn't seem to be going that well for him, and and I've been wondering how aware he is of that and compared to his play at third base how how he compares quite poorly to a lot of major league shortstops uh, i think it was a concern as a prospect and, and you know a minor one for a guy of his caliber but i think he is a, a bigger guy and i think some of the prospect reports suggested that he would be someone who you could see moving over to the hot corner and um, because of that uh, you know not quite the the same kind of skill set and it seems like he he might already have outgrown shortstop. He's not quite got the the range for it there, and so yeah, I, I don't know how he feels about it. Whether that's influencing him at all, you kind of probably think not, knowing what major league players are like. But certainly the the numbers don't rate him so far this year. So that's an interesting factor, and I think one that would make uh, you know the the teams that are looking at similar data um, maybe a bit less reluctant to to pay for him, insisting on that. Um, but yeah, as for how much more money it would take, uh, I don't know. It's it's very hard to contextualize, isn't it? Would you? <laughs> I can't say I would turn down uh, twenty million dollars for the chance to play shortstop. So uh, yeah, wh- where's the threshold at which at which point he says I don't actually care whether I get one hundred and fifty million or two hundred million or two hundred and fifty million or or whatever it is? At some point, you kind of think this money doesn't really mean anything anymore. But at a certain point, yeah, yeah. I, I was cynical enough on Monday to say that I didn't believe that he would I didn't believe that he would turn down one extra nickel. Uh, so but that uh that does speak to my overall uh my overall cynical outlook on life now, doesn't it? Um let's talk about a, a player uh that is between uh the John Hicks of the world and the Manny Machados of the world, and that is one Reese Hoskins who is also 25 years old. Odd to think of him as the same age as Manny Machado, with Machado entering the league uh, quite a bit earlier than him. But uh, Reese Hoskins has uh, been on a pretty sizable tear uh, recently. He is up to 11 home runs, and he also has four stolen bases, which is uh, nice to get out of a first-base eligible player. Uh, How strongly do you feel about Reese Hoskins' Uh, being a top 10 first baseman, uh, you know, a top 10 first baseman next year, uh, or I should say like a top three to four round pick in drafts next year. What do you think? I think round four sounds about right to me, uh, and I'd have to sit down and look at it, but first base has not been very good this year, and you do start to kind of run out of names uh, pretty quickly which is a fairly unusual position for us to be in but uh, I think every time the all-star voting comes up this is what I think uh, that first base looks terrible uh, and so yeah Hoskins is kind of putting himself in a position now with this this latest hot streak and combine that with what he did last year and that you kind of have to consider it especially in, in OBP I mean there's no doubt and he may well go quite a bit higher than that because the guy is an on-base machine still walking all the time which is great and, and we know the power is there he's not a, a Stanton judge power kind of guy but he's got more than enough to tap into it and go on these hot streaks and, and certainly 30 plus home runs is not out of the question so with his approach with that power um, I think with the with first base as it is uh, that, that doesn't sound unreasonable to me at all no 
Well, I think it's probably important to note that he's only got three games at first base this year, so I probably put that question in the wrong context since, uh, <laughs> since he is likely to, to only be outfield eligible next year. Uh, but I do see a lot to like, especially when you consider he's recovering from a slow start and his numbers still include nearly a 370 OBP, you know, 41 runs and 43 stolen, uh, 43 RBIs, and he's not a zero in stolen bases. Uh, so I think there's some power upside here, and uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of speed mixed in. And I also think that the Phillies are a team that have proven that they're going to continue to try and get better which uh, could really help him in the future as well. So uh, I think there's a lot to like about Reese Hoskins, and I I don't feel bad about uh, how highly I touted him going into this season. Uh, Let's talk about another uh, youngish phenom who's coming off a four-multi-hit, four-multi-base. I say this the right way. He had four extra base hits yesterday alone. That's Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros and we have had a lot of discussion about him throughout the season uh, because he was a person who I think people felt like they were uh, was being overdrafted going into the season Uh, how do you feel about Alex Bregman's season and uh, would you classify him as overdrafted going into the year since he was going sort of at the end of the second and uh, early in the third round going into this year I think it, it felt like that for a long time, but the way he's been going, I'm, I'm not sure that he was. Um, the guy is just really developing into a terrific hitter. Uh, he's just really hard to get out. He's, he's walking more than he's striking out. I mean, that strikeout rate is verging on extremely elite territory right now at 13%. Um, that's that's so good. And he just doesn't seem to have a, a lot of weakness. There's no pitch type that he's struggling against. He seems to cover the zone well. He struggles a little bit up, but he's, he's still hitting fine there. You can't point to it and say, oh, you can easily get Alex Bregman out with the, the high fastball or something. Um, he's just got a, a great approach to the plate. Uh, he's got the power. Um, not only has he got the 13 home runs, but he's got 25 doubles on the year already. And he's got the speed. He's, he's already got seven steals. So you've got both of those things that presumably you were drafting him for. And with the way he, he approaches the game at the plate, uh, he's going to have a great batting average as well. Um, plus, he's in one of the two or three best lineups in baseball. So I think things are probably only going to get better from here. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of feel like actually he, he probably wasn't overdrafted. Um, and certainly if you look at a lot of the guys who went around him, I mean, as somebody took Corey Seager in that same area, I can say that there are certainly people there who, who are of, uh, and much less than Bregman has. Yeah, I mean... It's, you know, the he's got 48 runs and 47 RBIs, and the lineup is so stacked in front of him that he's really not always, you know, hitting in the most ideal spots. Uh, and he's probably in one of the only lineups in baseball where he wouldn't be, you know, always uh, always the, the center of attention, if you will. So there is a, there's a lot to be said for how well young Alex Bregman is playing, and I think his draft, his draft stock is likely to rise from what's what's happened this year i think there was a lot of questions sort of about uh sophomores this year and uh, alex bregman is one of them that has been answered emphatically 13.3 percent walk rate and a 13 percent k rate that's like uh that's like throwback stuff right there uh that's stuff that you're really not used to seeing uh in major league baseball in this day and age um let's talk about another player let's talk about uh, let's talk about Eduardo Nunez of the 
Boston Red Sox, uh, who suffered uh, some draft day uh, deflation in his value with the with the thinking that that Dustin Pedroia was going to come back, and that certainly has uh, not happened because Dustin Pedroia came back for a few games and then left hurt again. And last, I knew there was no timetable for his return yet. So uh, anyway, Eduardo Nunez is certainly not having as strong a season as uh, as many hoped when they drafted him. Yet at the same time, being in that Boston lineup, I wonder if you still feel pretty strongly that Eduardo Nunez should be almost universally owned in fantasy leagues. Yeah, I, I guess if you're somebody who needs speed at all, then you probably need to consider him at least um but the problem for Nunez has surprisingly not been Pedroia but Brock Holt who has just been fantastic this season uh and he's been getting a bunch of the starts at second base uh the Red Sox have never played Nunez in the outfield which is something the Giants did a lot so he's not getting any extra at bats out there uh unless they want to sit Rafael Davis down for an extended period of time I, I don't see him getting a lot of time at third and obviously he's on the Bogarts is going to play every day at shortstop so you're kind of sitting here like thinking, well, if Nunez is going to split time with Brock Holt the rest of the way at best, then it's a, kind of a tricky player to own, really. And, and maybe if you're in a daily league and you can just play the matchups with him, then that's fine. But there does seem to be some skill erosion. Uh, he's got the worst strikeout rates and contact rates of his career. Uh, he, he's kind of a guy who swings at a lot of stuff, but he's not making contact on the pitches outside the zone that he, he used to be able to swing at and just sort of, you know, poke into the outfield. Uh, he isn't doing that anymore. And so I think with those skill declines, uh, he's not being able to use his speed as much to get on base. Uh, and he isn't running a huge amount and, and the Red Sox don't really need him to run a huge amount either. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's kind of borderline for me. I think certainly deeper needs. He, he needs to be owned because he's on a great offense and he could still go on a, a stolen base run. But I think the deflation was warranted, even though it's not for the reason we expected it to be. Yeah, 29 runs scored and 18 RBIs is definitely punitive in peripheral numbers when you consider that he's a Red Sox, and it certainly seems like they're averaging about six or seven runs a game. I know that's probably a bit of hyperbolic exaggeration, but uh, it certainly has been a disappointing season. The 17.3% strikeout rate is up over 6% from last year, while his minuscule walk rate of 3.7% has stayed the same. So it really has been a disappointing year to this point for Eduardo Nunez. Now let's go back to the Astros and talk about a guy who's not having a disappointing year, although it hasn't exactly been even either, but he's always been known as a streaky player. And that's, uh, you know, the player in Major League Baseball that most everyone who uh, plays softball would love to have as their uh, cleanup hitter for their softball team. Let's talk about Evan Gaddis. He does kind of look like a softball slugger to me. <laughs> 31 years old, of course, great story uh, behind Evan Gaddis. You know, uh, really toiled around for a long time before he got his uh, chance to uh, chance to break into the majors. And uh, he's just one of those guys that's easily likable because he swings so hard. Uh, it's like a, a modernized version of uh, of Matt, uh, uh, of the big slugger that used to play for the Matt Stairs. That's kind of what he looks like uh, as uh, a catcher. So 6'4", 270, obviously a big guy, big beard uh, in the right lineup. He's in the right league, so he can do plenty of uh, DHing. And uh, what do you think about Evan Gaddis? I mean, he's basically 
launched himself into the possibility of being the number one overall catcher for this season. Yeah, I, I've certainly ended up with Gattis in quite a few leagues because of the aforementioned lack of good catches and, and the fact that even kind of a, an average season from him would represent a, a top five catcher season easily. And after the slow start, that's that's what we're getting. I mean, he again is in that great Astros lineup. He's just been ludicrously hot of late. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Uh, had a couple of five RBI games back to back recently, so he's just been filling up the stat sheet there. Um, and you know the batting average isn't going to be great, but again, compared to most catchers, it, it probably is. And he's not got a prohibitively high strikeout rate, so I think you're going to get the power. You're going to get the runs and RBI from the great Astros lineup, and I think he may well finish as the number one catcher because with Sanchez going down, who is the competition at this point? I mean, it's Real Muto and, and Posey, I guess, and that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, 51 RBIs, uh, you have to be elated with that. I mean, there was some question uh, exactly how many uh, plate appearances he was going to get just because the Astros do seem to keep a lot of different players involved. Marwin Gonzalez not exactly replicating the year he had last year is sort of helping for him to have uh, at-bats go his way. Uh, A lot has happened to sort of help him out. Brian McCann had some time on the DL as well. So there's been... uh, been various things going on which have uh, have helped Gaddis accrue as many at-bats as people were hoping and of course the one thing that John Hicks as a catcher and Evan Gaddis have at a ca- as a catcher is that you know they will frequently be used on Sundays and days when other catchers have off so you can move uh, you can move guys like that into your lineup on days when your other when your catcher is not actually uh, in the lineup if uh, if it works out that way. Uh, let's talk about a guy who is drawing some attention at the trade deadline here for the complete rebuild that is the uh, Florida Marlins and Miami Marlins these days, I should say. And that's Derek Dietrich, who's a guy that I always thought was a bit undervalued. And now uh, Derek Dietrich has uh, has played well for the past month or so, meaning that people think he's perhaps going to be a valuable trade commodity here at the trade deadline coming up here. What do you think about Derek Dietrich, who is 28 years old? He's the kind of guy I feel like for years, he would always be, even in deeper leagues, that guy out there on the waiver wire 
who would like tempt you a couple of times a season. He never quite got the full time role, but he would always go on these streaks and he'd get on base and have some nice performances. And, and Derek Dietrich would be there because he wasn't a full time guy. And so you'd end up thinking, oh, maybe maybe this time I'll pick him up. And, and this is kind of the first year that he's really stuck as a full time player, uh, obviously, because the Miami lineup is terrible. That's given him a lot of opportunity, but he's really made the most of it. Uh, I'm not buying the average this high. That BABIP is sky high at 373, so I'm not expecting him to hit 300, but I think he can hit 260. Um, I think he can he can take a walk, um, and he does you know have a good line drive rate, so I, I don't think he's like a total batting average fluke. Um, he is like a pull-heavy guy, so I think maybe the more exposed he gets, pitchers might start to to be a little more careful with that and, and try and exploit that because he's I think he's had one homer to the opposite field and it's sort of been one of those slice down the line right in the corner type homers um but until until we kind of see him adjust to the league uh, we won't really know for sure we've seen guys like Brian Dozier make that work over the course of several years um so it'd be ext- extremely interesting to see where he ends up he does have some pretty big splits lefty righty splits um his numbers this year against lefties look okay on the surface but he actually has uh, one walk and 20 strikeouts in 61 play appearances against them. So I could see a team signing him to be a platoon bat just to face righties, you know, come off the bench or start lower down their lineup on those days when they're against right-handed starters, which would obviously limit his value a bit. Although conversely, he might get a bit more uh, run scoring RBI opportunities if he ends up on a, on a decent team. But yeah, I think he's a, a tidy player and uh, it's nice to see him get a full-time shot after sort of several years of bouncing up and down for the Marlins. Well, the thing about Derek Dietrich is he turns 29 on the 18th of July. Um, and the thing about Derek Dietrich is that, you know, him being listed as a second baseman, a third baseman, and an outfielder, and being a left-handed hitter uh, means that there will be a number of uh, number of teams that are in contention uh, that can use that kind of a player for exactly what Darius was hinting at, uh, a platoon player or somebody, uh, a very nice bat to have uh, off the bench uh, that can fill in in a lot of different spots. That's a, that's a valuable commodity in this day and age with as many pitching changes that need to be made uh, made and as much moving around the diamond uh, as we see. Uh, we, we're even seeing moving around the diamond happening uh, with pitchers these days, where I saw a pitcher play first base the other day, not just the outfield. Did you see that uh, phenomenon happen, Darius? The uh, the Jose Alvarado, yeah. Kevin Cash <laughs> is really really keeping things interesting over there, isn't he? Yeah, it's funny because uh, we can start to ask what came first, the chicken or the egg, as far as uh, you know, Madden being the considered to be so ingenuity ingenuitive in Tampa, or was Tampa? Uh, the starting factor that got all the ingenuity into uh, into Joe Madden. Uh, but regardless of all that, I think Derek Dietrich's a guy that is going to have a lot of value uh, to teams, even though being almost 29 years old and uh, having sort of a checkered history and not being uh, sabermetrically friendly right now, even in the midst of what we would call a, a late renaissance or a breakout season. Uh, I think Derek Dietrich is uh, going to get moved at the trade deadline, and we'll have to see exactly what kind of a role he ends up once that hap- ends up in once that happens. Uh, so uh, we covered Matt Duffy and John Hicks and Manny Machado and Reese Hoskins, Alex Bregman, Eduardo Nunez, 
Evan Gaddis and Derek Dietrich. And I'm curious because uh, it's hard for me to imagine that uh, that Darius actually nailed this one. Um, but uh, I suppose it's possible, and he was he was brimming with confidence going in. So, uh, Darius, what do you think all of these players, uh, all the way from uh, the Derek Dietrichs of the world to the Manny Machados of the world, what do you think they have in common here? Well, I was confident because I kind of noticed this by, like, the second player as I was going down the list, and I thought, oh, I wonder if that's it. And everybody I looked up fulfilled the same criteria, so... That kind of made me think, oh, yeah, I've definitely got it this week. But uh, the way you're talking about it now, I'm less confident. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what I think it is, is that uh, these are all guys who are currently on track to lose multi-position eligibility. They've all got it right now. But the way that their uh, position eligibility is trending this year, um, they're they're all going to just be one position only next season. Yeah, and I think uh, you you absolutely did nail it. And... Uh, I do like to sort of keep track of this in my mind because it makes sort of my studying easier for the following year when I think about it. Uh, I even looked up some other players uh, that I was curious about. I mean, you and I talked about Edward Edwin Encarnacion before the season started that maybe one of these years he was going to lose first base eligibility. Uh, he's got 13 games at first base. Catel uh, Marte, uh, there was, you know, he started the season playing a lot of second base. Uh, with uh, Nick Ahmed playing a lot of shortstop uh, and them not really knowing what they were going to do regularly with Chris Owings. Well, Cattell uh, Marte has plenty of games at at uh, second base and 13 games at shortstop. So I thought those guys were kind of up in the air, so I didn't really want to include them in the conversation. I guess if there's anybody on the list who might not lose uh, some of their multi-position eligibility, Eduardo Nunez has seven games at third base. I think you even mentioned it in your analysis that it was quite possible that he would uh, he would end up, uh, you know, that he might end up spelling Devers at some point if Devers bottomed out or if Devers got hurt. So he's not too dramatically far off. But I think some of them, you know, are pretty crazy. I mean, Reese Hoskins only three games at first base. I think that is uh, kind of surprising, although they're heavily invested in Carlos Santana. So I sort of get that part of it. But you would have thought maybe double switches or, uh, you know, interleague games, that there would have been reasons here or reasons there that maybe Reese Hoskins would get uh, some time at first base, which is certainly a more natural position to him than the outfield. And uh, and so, I mean, Evan Gaddis losing catcher eligibility next year. He's got two games at catcher. I think that's going to be... Uh, that's going to be wildly detrimental to his value going forward. Uh, I think, you know, obviously the difference between being a catcher and uh, being one of the last five guys on between your bench and your last guy in your lineup that you want to use, you know, that that difference between being the utility slot and being a catching slot is just absolutely enormous. I also thought it was kind of interesting that Alex Bregman has two games at shortstop, one game at second base and one game in the outfield. Uh, so, I mean, while he's going to lose that eligibility going into next year, I think that means that various things could happen where he may be eligible over the next four or five years uh, at a number of different spots, maybe four different spots within the, within a lineup at some point. So maybe in long-term dynasty leagues, that actually helps his, uh, that actually helps his cause. 
Of course, I, I've heard rumors for years, and I really should ask Matt Thompson about this, that Alex Bregman is actually a better defensive shortstop than uh, Carlos Correa, which might go back to some of the size things you were talking about before, about Manny Machado. Uh, so in the future, he may very well end up being at shortstop. And his his clock did start a little earlier. A little His clock started later than Correa's, so you never know exactly how it might work out long term as to if the Astros are going to be able to keep Correa and if eventually Alex Bregman becomes a shortstop. Uh, when you looked at a, a, at these players, uh, when you thought about it in that context, it sounds like you did right away. Uh, did you think about how much their value was going to change going forward by losing the eligibility? Yeah, I did, and it was it was Hicks that uh, set me off to it really because I I kind of was already aware that he hadn't really played catcher at all uh, since Mickey went down, and so that was that was at the back of my mind when I first looked at them. And yeah, as, then I was just, as I was scrolling down, I was like, well, I know Machado is only playing shortstop, and I know Hoskins hasn't played much first base because of Santana. So yeah, I was kind of mentally adjusting. I mean, Hicks is pretty borderline, and you know, he's very deep league corner infield only. I think without the catchall eligibility uh, based on his current profile. Um, and yeah, you know, Dietrich is kind of nice to second base, third base outfield, but I was surprised to see how little he'd played. Uh, multi-positions this year um, so I think he loses a lot of value and Gattis of course you know his his profile is great for a catcher but if he's a 25 homer guy who hits 240 that's not really a super exciting player you know to, to just stick in your utility slot he's he's an okay bat and the lineup is is great if he's still with the Astros but it's not super exciting really so yeah a lot of these guys it take a hit some of them you don't care you, i don't care about Machado really i don't care about bregman all that much you know those guys you're, you're going to draft whatever and, and i'm not really thinking too much about the positions with them and as you say with bregman he could easily end up picking them up in season anyway but some of these guys i think are going to end up being pretty borderline if, uh, if they don't get it back yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, Derek Dietrich does have eight games at first base, which uh, I've, I've, this question really – I'm in one league where if you get eight games at first base and 12 games at third base, you become corner infield eligible. Is, does that sound uh, – are you familiar with this phenomenon? Where even though you're not eligible uh, at first yeah. or third, you would be eligible at corner the following season? You, you've seen this happen before? Yeah, I think I have. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but I do. I have seen leagues that that do it that way. They count them up as as corner, separately from their first and third as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the only uh, the only reason I say that I even mention that with Dietrich is that obviously I think his role is going to change by the end of the season since uh, he seems about as likely to be traded as just about anyone. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, the Marlins are, have basically tried to trade all of their uh their tradable pieces uh and he's not even uh he's not even under contract next year so Derek Dietrich is very likely to play somewhere else and where exactly he plays or fits in will be pretty interesting because uh, I don't think his defense is really highly touted anywhere either so uh, uh, maybe it won't matter but uh, I did like I said I I really wanted to sort of take a look around the league and see some of these multi-position guys that that people are using all over the place and see uh, exactly uh, how limited their role may be in the future for how we are compared to how we are using them now. And I do think Darius is very right in pointing out that, you know, Manny Machado uh, is probably still, uh, you know, no worse than a second round pick if he was utility only. 
<laughs> let alone if it, whether we care if he's playing shortstop or third base. He's certainly drafted at a time in the draft where uh, you know you're not real concerned yet about how you're going to fill out your roster uh, by and large. Uh, but a number of the other people are going to be largely affected by it. Uh, Matt Duffy certainly doesn't have enough power to be a corner infielder in most fantasy settings. And uh, he has literally zero games at shortstop right now. I thought maybe he would have a few with the Willie Adamas uh, call-up. I thought maybe he would have some here or there, and he has none. So, And uh, Eduardo Nunez having seven games at third base and the rest of his games at second. I mean, in the past, he was a shortstop and an outfielder. Uh, I think, you know, end game plays, big leagues, NFBC, uh, this, these kind of switches will definitely affect draft stock greatly uh, as people are trying to make sure they're covered at various positions going forward. So well done today, Darius. You definitely nailed it. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give the people your uh, Twitter handle to make sure that they have that down. And uh, why don't we uh, talk about anything special going on and we'll get out of here. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at DariusA64. Um, still writing over at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, so the uh, the great fancy uh, waiver wire column that I've been doing uh, carries on uh, every Wednesday. Uh, this week it was just kind of about total activity. So I, I basically broke down uh, how many moves each league has actually made and kind of looked at the the week to week variation. Uh, and maybe we're we're already starting to see even in a, a collection of expert leagues a bit of uh, fatigue of the season setting in. So um, that was an interesting one to break down. Uh, and I've also been contributing to the uh, tales from the deep column, which is where we uh, each take uh, a deep league. Uh, player who's been picked up off waivers uh, usually sort of pretty um, obscure prospect types and uh, kind of write a little little blurb on them just to get people to know who they are and here's what people are, are bidding on them in our leagues uh, so that's a, a handy column um, i also got to talk to nate fryman formerly of the oakland days uh, for Batflips and nerds earlier this week really great interview nate's a, a great guy he's been getting into analytics and teaching himself coding so he had a lot of interesting things to say about that and playing for the A's um, and uh, playing in the World Baseball Classic as well, which was of interest to our British listeners, certainly. So uh, check that one out. And uh, I'm also writing about uh, Andrew Benintendi right now for Banish to the Pen because I kind of noticed that uh, despite his terrific season, he's still not really very good against lefties. So I kind of wanted to, to dig into that a little bit and see if I can figure out what's going on there and, and whether we'd like to see any improvement. So, yeah, check all of those out. So I am... Uh trying to get all of the details out and about to everyone who's going to join the Staff 3 Sport League, which I do think is a wave we'll see in the future. I think we will see uh, uh, multi-sport leagues regularly like this, and it's sort of a, an ongoing extension of people who don't want to go deeper in player pools uh, as much as maybe uh, going deeper, uh, being able to draft a, a wider breadth of, of athletes all at the same time. Uh, but while I was doing that, uh, I came across and I asked Justin about a player on the Monday podcast, and it occurs to me that I could approach the same, almost the same way with Darius with a twist. Darius, have you ever heard of Spencer Dinwiddie? Uh, doesn't ring a bell, no. Okay, and is it just me, or does that sound like an exceptionally British name? <laughs> it does sound pretty British, yeah. I, I would have to agree with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
it sounds exceptionally British to me. Uh, so I'm going to have to learn if there if he has any uh, any English descent whatsoever. But he's a he's a major league. Uh, he's an NBA point guard uh, who came uh, into prominence last year. He had a very big breakout and helped a bunch of people in the second half of the NBA season last year. So anyway, so I'm uh, I'm presently, even though we're not even close to the season because I know I have all this work setting up the league, trying to catch up on uh, player rankings for football and the NBA uh, while I'm keeping up on uh, all the players in Major League Baseball and trying to finish off some of these uh, championship pushes that I'm in. And I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely right there. Uh, just because I have your ear now, are you still doing well in the uh, head-to-head league, Darius? Uh, I'm doing okay, I think. I'm kind of right around the, the fringes of the playoff thing playoff picture uh i've got my pitching staff is just in dire straits because i've got um i've had kershaw on the dl i think and um johnny cueto is there and i can't remember who else sort of like three of my top five starters i've had on the dl for several weeks so i've really been trying to figure it out mixing and matching and playing these random guys who have good matchups uh picked up freddie peralta uh, which was very nice for this uh, two-start week um, so riding guys like that right now and uh, yeah, hang, hanging in there. But uh, it's been been kind of, you know, an OK season. Definitely not my best league this year. Well, the thing that's happened uh, is that you picked up Freddie Peralta and I picked up Willie Peralta. Uh, I don't know how many first come first serve leagues you've been in. Uh, but yesterday afternoon, I was uh, on the couch when uh, Willie Peralta two days ago, I was on the couch when Willie Peralta mid afternoon came in for a save opportunity and uh you know was throwing 97 miles an hour uh, i certainly understand like a scene from bull durham that he could certainly hit the bull at any time uh but uh in an 18 team league where everyone is scrounging for saves as a category you're trying to win every category you can every week somehow or another you picked up freddie peralta and i ended up with willie peralta <laughs> now have you ever felt so fortunate in your peralta holdings as you do right now wouldn't you much rather have freddie than willie I think you would. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Willie's pitched like what three point three and two thirds innings or something this year. Like it, it doesn't look pretty. But if he's getting saved, he's getting saved. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, I've started with Hector Neris and have owned uh, you know multiple uh, multiple other failing closers throughout the year. And uh, I was boosted by Josh Hader's save yesterday, his one out save. So anyway, but uh, you know. And I have Wade Davis, who doesn't look all that great going forward. But I've been in the top three or four, and I remember for a slight period of time, Darius and I were in first or se- first and second, which is how it should be. So we need to get back there. Okay, Darius, get your pitchers back, would you? Uh, <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> but it is amazing how many people, I mean, I start Nico Goodrum. You're in an 18-team league. That It's not an 18-team head-to-head roster either you know we use full outfields you know so we use plenty of players you know the nico goodrums of the world are uh, are important in a league like that <laughs> yeah i i eventually had to drop chris davis but for such a long time i was like oh this league is so deep i can't drop chris davis and i just had to do it in the end yeah, I suppose you. I suppose you did. He's historically bad right now. All right. Well, thank thanks everyone out there for the listen and uh, nice job on uh, on picking up right away on what was going on today, Darius. Uh, we will be back at you again next week, same bad time, same bad channel. Have yourself a good weekend. Enjoy the baseball and uh, go Brewers. Uh, I guess I'll even say go Giants for Darius. All right. <laughs> thanks everyone. Have yourself a good baseball week.
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.